Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman. We have a great show for you today. Um, we are here with Lo Fitzgibbons, who's a clinical social worker and therapist um, with a specialty in sex and relationships therapy. So, um, so welcome, Lo. Hi, it's so nice to be here with you today. Yes, I'm so glad that you're here. So, um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and and what you do in the Pioneer Valley. Sure. Uh, so uh, I am Lo Fitzgibbons. I'm a queer and trans therapist uh, who offers psychotherapy, specializing in sex and gender uh, relationships and relationships of all styles. Um, and I really love what I do. And I love being in practice out here. Yeah. I love how you describe relationships of all styles. That's great. You know, I feel like we always have such an idea of, you know, monogamy and, you know, the end goal is marriage. And as somebody who is almost 40 and never had children and never really planning on it and still kind of not sure how I feel about the whole marriage topic. um, I love love how you kind of describe uh, relationships of, of all styles. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's just, you know, to me, uh, part of our emotional, and mental health and well-being is is really just about being in relationship with ourselves and with other people, and that uh, does not mean any specific way of it having to be. And certainly, some of those ways of being really stuck in a specific vision of some normative path of what that's supposed to look like also tends to make some people forget that, you know, uh, all their other relationships matter uh, for their overall well-being. And sometimes it's easy to get off balance when we we kind of lose sight of that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you kind of step out of that typical mindset of what a healthy relationship should be with other people that it's more in relationship with ourselves like how how did you come to that conclusion I mean it's so wise it totally makes sense but like you know that's so different than what we hear right it's definitely not something that we uh culturally in in a lot of the the societal lessons we learn um growing up in the, the the images that we're exposed to um typically don't don't support that train of um, coming to those conclusions. So I think it's just been like a real mixture um, of things of my own personal journey um, and the things that I've discovered over time and how that has intersected too with um, my education and choices and career choices. Um, And the more and more that I do relationship work, I think the more and more (laughs) clear it is um, how uh, how, how much healthier it is uh, to move away from those kinds of models. And sometimes it's just 
than happenstance that's like kind of building on this awareness <laughs> um, because it's everything's connected, right? And um, so I think a, lo a lot of the things that I focus on and focus on learning and focus on working with people has, has really um, just reinforced these ideas that, oh yeah, keep remembering to be stepping outside a, lo a lot of the things that we've either internalized or the things that have become um, these mainstream messages, you know, um, just keep remembering, oh yeah, what's actually important? What are, what are the values and how does that line up with those messages and how doesn't it line up with those messages and how do we create our own, our own paths? Yeah. How, how do you, how do you assist people in understanding where their values line up with mainstream society and where their values don't line up? Like what's your role there? Yeah, I know, uh, I, I know you and a lot of people you have on your show, right, all um, do a lot of work about sort of the inner knowing and, um, right, these sorts of ideas of in, ther in therapy, there are lots of, uh, depending on the theories, there are lots of different ways um, of thinking about it, but they all kind of mean the same thing, like the core self or um, the, the wise mind or... <laughs> the messages between the unconscious and the, and the conscious, right? <laughs> um, so all of these things are, 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 yeah, just sort of like figuring out these ways that, yeah, your, our intuition, um, you know, sometimes when people are trying to, to tune into that, you know, sometimes our instincts are, are sometimes uh, either confused by just general psychology stuff that gets in our way, right? The way that our brains work that sometimes are counterintuitive to what we're actually trying to do. <laughs> um, and also the, uh, the ways that um, we've learned to doubt our intuition or um, have gotten confused by either traumas or things that have um, resulted in like coping, coping skills and strategies and um, ways that we've learned to protect ourselves or ego defenses, like all these things that, that make it important to, to learn how to accept what's going on and work with it and navigate it so that we can be, um, basically that I can be helping to facilitate these conversations that, that a person might have between their mind and their body. Um, you know, and that we're not in any rush to get rid of uncomfortable feelings, but we're certainly also not going to stop uh, just once we've been able to have that feeling not be too uncomfortable anymore. <laughs> then it's like, okay, so now that we've been able to accept that this feeling exists and uh, work on how to manage it, let's see what else it has to share. Like, what else can we learn from this? And and that, that sort of work helps us get closer and closer to like the, these things at the core that, that might be reaching out to be heard, you know, that are just trying to, to help us uh, find our way. Yeah. Do you, do you bring in um, uh, kind of like energy techniques or um, kind of like mind body centering sort of stuff? Or do you do more kind of traditional talk therapy kind of helping people uncover that verbally, how does that, um, like if somebody was sitting in your office, like what is, what is, what would that look like? I guess nobody's yeah. sitting in your office. So that would be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> probably all virtual right now. <laughs> yes. All, all virtual right now. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's interesting. And it, actually it's been interesting with the shift to, to virtual 
work, um, how a lot of these things still can happen in very similar ways um, and, and some of the ways in which it's changed. But, um, but yeah, I do. Um, part of what I like to do in this work is, um, is really focus on providing people access to everything that I can get access to, right? Like, so anything that I can go find and learn and try to either specialize in or uh, get a lot of education or practice in or immerse myself in it, um, uh, you know, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm spending that time uh, so that other people don't have to or that other people who can't, you know, uh, that I'll I'm, I'm there to be like, what's going to work for you? I have all these things that, that we can try to work with. Um, and, you know, I'm, there's not just going to be this one thing that uh, I think is going to be the thing, uh, which gets hard, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the time when you're focusing on, on providing uh, therapy to as, as many people from all different um, uh areas of you know socioeconomic uh areas um you know a lot of people have tried to solve that by kind of focusing on like okay well here's like what's like the like the one best thing that we can try to just have like a um everybody trained in so that the most people can get the emotional regulation skill they need or you know uh out of crisis or you know this kind of stuff and and I like to kind of work um, with and additionally to that uh, in a way that um, focuses on like, well, you know, I really like the idea that uh, queer and trans folks, BIPOC people, like everyone who uh, really should be centered in therapy, you know, that historically part of why I got into this field was that people in my communities were, you know, not being able to um, get good therapy support, you know, people that uh, they would be able to talk to, whether it was about their sexuality, their gender, um, and or just feel able like they could be whoever they are in the room uh, and access um, therapy. And so I think um, I, I just find myself trying to access and then adapt or accommodate everyone who's who's seeking therapy um, so that might mean analysis or dream analysis or somatic work like emdr that i do um, it might mean traditional talk therapy it might be relational work um, and it's sort of like uh, i like to think of therapy as being really multi-dimensional um, kind of like a labyrinth it's like well we know this door is like the scary door over here that doesn't open but maybe if we go down this part of the maze for a while we'll find the way through that unlocks the key that's going to bring us to this <laughs> this door over here you know and so we might need like two different modalities down this labyrinth the part of the labyrinth and then we've uncovered the like the code to the the door over there and we maybe once we get through there we'll need some other skill um kind of sounds to, like one of those escape that. rooms 
yeah, those like, like gaming rooms where you have to like yes. find the clues to escape this find chamber to move into the next level. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's like the the game of self love or something. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I wish that every escape room had that mentality. <laughs> right, <laughs> instead of pure panic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, under a time crunch. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's not winning or losing. Yeah. It's like the end goal is self love. Right, exactly. And each uh, each level unlocked is more self love that you've received that day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess to, to answer your question really specifically about like somatic work, I do um, EMDR is one of the things that I I focus a lot on, and I do something called uh, IFS internal family systems mm-hmm. work, uh, otherwise known as like parts work. Um, and so I do a lot of body stuff and I do a lot of like uh, exploring these ideas between like the unconscious and the conscious mind and having these sort of bridge and emotionally focused therapy, which is what I use in relationship work. Um, but I also apply it in individual work. They uh, refer to it as like building a bridge between the body and the mind where you're having these sort of like emotional self and, um, and, and brain logical rational self uh, where you're having this bridge of conversation that there is no hierarchy. It's about a, you know, a collective sense of understanding that you're building within yourself. So very cool. Do you have any, um, kind of new favorite techniques that you've learned or educated yourself on that you're just like, ooh, this is like my new thing that I'm really love getting into (laughs) with people or with the right people, I should say, because I know how you said there's no like, you know, everybody kind of has their own mix and match of techniques that works for them. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I think for when I first started internal family systems, that was I was super pumped about that. That was really exciting (laughs) for me. And I was so I was like, trying in almost every one of my sessions to just see if that was something we could use. Um, and uh, I think you had a dream, you had a dream worker on your show, uh, right? And yep. I, start, I started, um, I thought about uh, being trained as a, a dream anal- analyst from the, the Jungian, Carl Jung's method and, and trying, because there are a few people who have done some feminist and intersectional and uh, like queer and trans work and, and like, bringing that up to speed. Um, and so I was like, all right, let me go try that. And I've been seeing a dream analyst for a year or two. And, oh, fine. Uh, so I that love... became a big thing. Yes, yeah. I love doing dream work. Yes, yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess that would be that would be the big thing. And I always come back to my relationship stuff every time I immerse myself in some new attachment conference or trading or, you know, revisit some of my um, relationship work, whether it's going back to some of the Gottman's Gottman training I have, or going back to, uh, Sue Johnson's work. I always, you know, I'm always reinvigorated with that stuff. I think relationships and attachment stuff is like my, one of my favorite things to, (laughs) to do because it really does. It's just, it's applicable with individuals. It's applicable with the self, you know, it's, it's just an across the board, really interesting, way to approach therapy yeah I'm so curious you know like how how did you fall into therapy like how did you fall into this line of work like what what was that spark for you or maybe it wasn't a spark maybe it was something else 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was, um, I think a lot, a lot that kind of interplayed. Uh, it's, it's actually interesting, uh, being out here in the Pioneer Valley, um, you know, private practice is just one of the f like few ways to, to be a therapist here in, in this area. But when I tell, um, when I talk to other queer trans folks who are, uh, training to become therapists and I tell them I'm, I'm in private practice, they usually have this like really specific idea of what that means. You know, you hear private practice and you have this idea of like, oh, you like charge a bunch of money and you like make this like really exclusive, like you only see very specific kinds of people and, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, if I had stayed in, in city areas where I had been living, I had been in Philadelphia, um, and then that's where I went to school and had my training. And, uh, you know, there are all these like super cool grassroots places and, you know, intersectionally aware um, groups that were just like doing amazing work and, and were so awesome to like learn from those people and, and be around those people. And, um, you know, I just try to, I try to kind of have that sort of energy in my practice. Um, and that's just what I try to do. That's just like adapting to the area where we live, where we're just sort of out in the country a little bit. Right. So, um, and what's another good thing about telehealth too, is that hopefully, you know, people, uh, out in rural areas will be able to, uh, see a lot more therapists, um, because virtual therapy should hopefully get approved, uh, long-term. Um, but uh, so I guess that kind of gives you an idea of like what I, when I was, what I was becoming a therapist, what I imagined for what my work would be. Um, and I actually um, started out uh, in environmental science, science uh, studying wildlife sciences. No kidding. Um, yeah. But you're still in a way studying the human animal. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Still a, a mammalian focus. And uh, uh, yeah, big cats uh, and gorillas were my interest at the time. No kidding. Um, yeah. So uh, a lot of stuff happened, obviously, that... <laughs> shifted courses um but uh yeah a lot of that had to do with with uh sort of social justice oriented intersectional ideas and all these other things that you know i realized i needed to learn about and be exposed to um just for my own life and uh i didn't really think too much um after switching into social sciences i i didn't think too much about whether or not i was going to be a therapist i wasn't really sure what i was going to do uh and at that time um i had a lot of people who uh were telling me a sex sex therapy is what you should do you should totally be a sex therapist that's what you should do um and i i at the time uh, like a lot of people do about private practice, only saw it as like, well, I don't know, maybe that's like people who are on TV or something or do, you know, like, I don't really know what that looks like in a practical sense. Um, but then, as I was mentioning earlier, that the sort of experience of me just being in my studies and having my, uh, my own journey in my life um, was noticing um, the people in my uh, communities having a real, real difficulty with, with their mental health and accessing mental health care. Uh, and I had been lucky enough to just be uh, exploring 
uh, these ideas in ways that I kind of did fall into meeting a great therapist, you know, or like having a great uh, mentor that happened to be in the field, you know, like, uh, so when I saw people um, struggling, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm noticing like the connections here between things that I'm pretty passionate and interested about, um, but don't really know how that might apply to my life um, and things that I might might realize could give me some focus and some direction onto like, what am I going to, how am I going to have this all add up and uh, do something that I'm going to really want to do. Um, and so then I kind of started from there. Uh, and there was a great person in my psychology department at the time uh, who is studying the neuroscience of the orgasm. And <laughs> that's a fun way to intro, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a hypnotherapist and does all this cool uh, therapy work. Um, and a professor of mine uh, suggested that I, I talk with her about my ideas about what to do. And she's actually who recommended the graduate program that I decided to take where I could uh, be trained as a sex therapist and a, a social worker. So um, that's how it started. Nice. Yeah. That's really, really cool. And, you know, you, you've kind of mentioned a couple of times about the um, the lack of uh, lack of care for, you know, the LGBTQ and BIPOC folks, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that, um, that people, you know, obviously, we know, like therapy, back in the day used to be like, pretty hardcore and locking people up and, you mm -hmm. know, electroshock. And, you know, even mm -hmm. now, there's still a lot of the conversion camps, the gay conversion camps and crazy just, I yeah. mean, to me, it's crazy, because it's so far out I of the know. context of like my life. But um Right. I. What are some of the challenges that a lot of uh, LGBT folks uh, and BIPOC folks really are are experiencing in terms of getting therapy? Yeah, uh, I I know. Just uh, to to touch on the BIPOC piece, um, you know, I know that I will very like humbly be. Uh, super open to making sure that they have access if they want to come see me, anyone in those communities, um, but also really realistic about the same thing that I'm trying to do for queer and trans folks. I can't exactly offer in the same way for BIPOC communities because I'm a white person. You know, um, in some ways, me sort of, uh, in, is interloping the right word? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, into the mental health field. <laughs> um and and relating to other queer folks who then I try to open the doors for, um, you know, is there are other people out there who have some some sort of uh, you know their own path to provide uh, therapy for for people that are therapists of color and you know so I think that that in and of itself is a challenge. You know, it's not enough that I I prioritize that in my education and my conferences and my reading and that I do that sort of intersectional social justice work. We also need BIPOC therapists, you know, and, and, and to support their journey and, and becoming therapists and, and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, just like we need more queer and trans therapists um, as well. So, yeah, and I, for me, too, the fact that a lot of the things that I've learned by, by default by going into this training was stuff that you know is like this historical white man lessons you know uh and a field that 
would historically be uh, oppressive, you know, and so I grapple with that, I grappled with that a lot, you know, how do I, you know, starting out in this field, it was easier for me to be like, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get this stuff, you know, I'm going to get this information and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to adapt it and to, to use it and, and then to have my own voice in the field and have new information and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then the longer you're in the field, you know, you have to acknowledge like, okay, now I am in the field, you know, like, so now I am part of this system that has historically been super oppressive. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, I think it's a constant challenge and often it, Often um, there are, are moments where you have to be challenging power dynamic, um, making sure that you're working through any stuff that that comes up. Like there's historical generational community trauma that comes up in the room with me, even if it's me in the room, you know, as the therapist, it's still there. I still have to contend with it. It still gets projected onto me. I still have to deal with my internalized stuff, you know, <laughs> so like all of this um stuff does get very complicated and um and i think it sometimes can be can be scary for people to trust um and to feel like you know this is something maybe now that i can access or that is available to me or that is for me and can serve me and empower me um because you know it's just not not always the case yeah yeah, yeah. and i think you know it's it's a it's very similar in the um in the like a lot of the wellness field in this area it's like very driven by white women and you know mm -hmm. it's like i don't know always how <laughs> to bridge that gap but you know like when i see programs that pop up that support you know communities of color and you know women of color that are doing this work in other communities i try to put my money in that direction and make sure that they're supported and you know mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. every every little tweak that we can do along the way just makes a huge impact in like you said just like we're part of a system and you know how can we kind of um create an awareness around that and deal with our own stuff as it comes up so and right. I, yeah so it's it's a little tricky sometimes yeah. So you just got to keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so do you feel like, um, you know, like, especially with the, with the population that you do feel like you're, um, that you're serving with the LGBT, do you feel uh, Q population? Do you feel like, um, like, do you feel like a lot of the struggles that they're finding uh, access to support, like how, how do you remedy how do you remedy that within your practice and kind of within the community um, of, at large that are looking for therapists that, you know, can just not judge them when they're talking about sex and relationships? Right. Uh, yeah, I think networking has a lot to do with it. Um, I think really uplifting other people. I think, you know, it's easy to, for me to notice when people kind of accidentally internalize like this uh, capitalist business model, you know, of like, of like, you know, don't have any competitors and don't, <laughs> you know, this sort of idea, um, all these weird intersections. I mean, it's, it's why people still struggle with, with the idea of what a private practice is, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, that's where I kind of look into is like, uh, you know, who else is doing this work? How can I make sure that, uh, I'm connected with them in a way that I, they're either a resource for people when I'm when I'm I don't have room in my practice, um, 
how am I referring people to, you know, what's my, what's my referral network? What's, what are the resources I can be aware of? Who can I be helping to support getting into this field? Um, you know, uh, who can, like what information and resources out there are out there um, to just keep, um, you know, making this less and less of a, of a rarity, you know, less and less of a, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't serve me. I can't possibly be a therapist for every queer person. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't serve me to have me be the only person. Uh, so I would love to see as many um, people and groups and community organizations and yeah. programs. Yeah. Of course. So. Yeah. Um, how is the Pioneer Valley doing? I know social media makes everything so much like bigger and expansive, but how do you feel like we're doing in the Pioneer Valley, like here supporting this community? Yeah, I think it's, it's so interesting. It's so complicated um, because in so many ways, the Pioneer Valley is amazing, right? Like, uh, and, you know, there are all of these really wonderful um things about it. I think it's interesting that there are a lot of therapists that love to live here, that love to be here like me, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and at the same time, it, I know that there's there's not enough because I get people all the time trying to reach out to me that I can hardly even get back to, to people. Um, and I know that I hear, hear their stories about how long it takes to find their therapist. And, um, you know, we're all only able to to do what we can and take care of ourselves at the same time. Um, so I know that there's still there's still so much more we could be doing, and I I do feel uh, I do feel I have this feeling that like in the next ten years there's going to be even more things are just going to I think improve, and the more people can be mobilizing to build um, because we are doing a pretty good job I think of you know, accountability practices and uh, things like that. And so I think pairing that with like building and, and growing and supportive practices are, are going to be uh, great, great stuff. Yeah. Cool. You know, and I, I know that, I mean, especially right now during the pandemic, every therapist I know has been just super slammed and people are really struggling. And my question for you is how do you take care of yourself as a therapist? What kind of self care yeah. do you do? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how it's all connected too, right? Because I have a lot of my own goals and values around providing care. And sometimes as I age or, or my own mental health, my body, my energy, um, I have to change what that looks like. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, having to uh, adapt what my work's work looks like to make sure that my life is okay too. Um, so a big part of it is that is, is always being willing to adapt and adjust what I'm doing for work, uh, while still being relatively aligned with what I want my work to look like. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, being focused on my own care, going to my dream analyst, going, <laughs> uh, focusing on my relationship with myself, my relationship with other people in my life, uh, my relationship with nature, the world around me. Um, I have earth-based earth -based practices. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with, to this sort of 
before, during, and after intentional care that I do um, for my work, uh, my work day, and uh, building that in um, to my life. And that's changed over time. I mean, it's really important to have peer supervision, collegial support, um, and supervisors in general, uh, and to keep keep immersing keep immersing myself in learning. Um, I think learning and, and reading and being in touch with uh, what I'm doing in a, a host of ways is what helps keep me grounded. Yeah. So I would be remiss if I had a sex and relationship therapist on my show and I didn't ask about some specifics. So yeah. um, I know everybody's locked up right now. Probably a lot of people are with their significant others and their families and, you know, everybody's kind of in their personal journey, but like stuff is coming up for people. Like, let's be real. So mm-hmm. how, if somebody, if you're living with somebody that is um, dealing with a, like somebody who's dealing with a lot of trauma in their lives and you're in a relationship and you're locked up during the pandemic, what do we, like, give us some steps, some techniques, like, Give us some hope, Lo. We need help. And this is not about me because, you know, my listeners know that I always put my business out there. So I know this isn't me, but this is, this is a question that I know has been coming up for, um, for a lot of people right now. Just supporting yes. their loved ones when everybody's going nuts and it's, we're all dealing yes. with our stuff. Yes. Uh, as you can imagine, it's, it's definitely something that mental health professionals have been focused on is the, you know, what, what are this, what are the stats, you know, what are, what's going on for people, um, during, during the pandemic. And, um, and so, you know, a good thing, some hope has been, <laughs> uh, that people who reported significant, uh, or, or, reported, you know, some unsatisfaction, uh, uh, distress in their relationship before the pandemic, those numbers have actually gone down um, overall. So there's like lots of great things we're seeing about people's ability to adapt and, uh, you know, kind of center these things about, you know, how do I, how do I take care of, of, um, the things that are really important to me and what I need to be okay in order to survive this. Right. Um, and so that's really great. The things that we've seen um, some challenging uh, issues in have been, you know, in the times when that's not been the case, sometimes that's been pretty bad. Right. So we've seen an increase in, uh, in suicides. We've seen an increase in overdoses. Um, and when people are in relationships that are abusive, uh, we've seen the uh, extent of the abuse really escalate during these times. Um, so uh, with all of that awareness, you know, <laughs> there's definitely uh, a lot of, of serious time and consideration that should be taken into, um, you know, figuring out how to support ourselves and our loved ones. Um, during this time. And what I've seen, you know, um, I've seen people who have been like, yep, this was not a good situation before. And it's really bad now. Um, and I've, so I've had a few of, of, of those um, where, you know, we've been able to maybe 
change a lot of the dynamics, right? Let's say living together is just not going to be what's going to work, you know, uh, maybe that needs to change, right? Or maybe if you were figuring out some sort of pod or some sort of situation and it wasn't working, let's keep changing it. You know, like let's keep changing it until we figure out what does work and validate all the reasons why instead of like, well, it should be this way. Or if you didn't have this trauma stuff, we wouldn't have, you know, like this kind of stuff. And it's like focusing on the health of the relationship and the secure attachment bond allows us to just be like anything is possible. Whatever we need to support the health of this attachment is what the work is, you know, not trying to have it look a specific way or need to fit any specific model. Um, And so I think some suggestions I would have, it would be to really focus on things like, you know, those, those terms that got pretty big, that radical, radical honesty and radical acceptance, you know, Um, those I think are really good. uh, What does that mean? What is radical honesty? And I know those are big concepts. What what does that mean for our listeners who might not be familiar with that? Yeah. So what I liked when those words started being uh, more like put around, put out there, what I liked about it was that that's a lot of what we do in attachment work and attachment healing. It's like, uh, let's, you know, uh, just thinking about working with, you know, a partner who has a trauma history, right? Um, You know, if you're going to be really wishing that it wasn't that way or just angry all the time that this even happened to your partner, whatever it was, right? Or um, not able to accept how it makes you feel or the reactions you have uh, or the insecurities it might bring up for you. Um, radically accepting all that, being like, let's, let's acknowledge what we're working with here. Let's acknowledge how this feels. Let's acknowledge what comes up. Um, if, if you're, if you've, are struggling with sexual intimacy because your partner's having a panic attack while touring sex, you know, radically accept that that's happening, right? There's no reason to be more focused on the fact that you didn't get to finish having sex than being with your partner in that moment, right? Being together is why you're there in the first place, right? Being being with each other is what it's all about, right? So whatever's happening, it's just about how do I how how do I be with you right now, right? How how do we be with each other in this moment? Um, and radical honesty is a part of that too, because finding ways where you can cultivate relationships where you feel safe enough to be honest about what's happening for you. Um, if you start to panic, if you start to have anxiety, finding a way that it's going to be okay for you to, for you to say that to yourself and to other people, um, that's going to be the driver for, for acceptance, um. And it's like, yeah, we can work on all that stuff, but we got to do that kind of stuff first, you know, and make sure that we figure out how to how to make everybody feel secure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to what you were talking about earlier with it's like it's our relationship with ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, well, it's it's you know, you're you're there to be together. But at the same time, like if we're not really being honest and having that internal dialogue, then like, where are we? Right. Right. Which is, which is kind of what we see in this pandemic, which is like, if you're, if you weren't compatible, because you, maybe one or both of you or more of you were not totally honest with yourself about what was drawing you to this dynamic, right? Um, This might be forcing you to realize like, oh yeah, this isn't really a healthy attachment bond for me. And uh, I don't see a way forward. 
in in this dynamic um and that's a great thing to to realize too because that's about forming a relationship with yourself and and um being ready to do that before um you know thinking that it's it's going to be the dynamic of the relationship that's going to make things better or something like that right like it's all it's all connected it's got to be with self too yeah Yeah. and you know this is just my own thing but like sometimes that's why I don't really fully understand marriage and long-term partnerships because like (laughs) I'm doing so much self-work on Mm -hmm. on like trying to understand my own motivations and trying to really understand like how I got here and working through stuff and sometimes the things that like attracted to me to like partners when I was like 16 are Mm -hmm. like I can't imagine being married to my I mean God bless the people that are like married to their high school sweetheart because the amount of change that you must have experienced from like the time when you're like 18 to 50 is just mind-boggling but sometimes I have a hard time understanding how people can like go through all these evolutions of self and still maintain that bond with other people intimate bonds not friendships I think you can kind of I don't know. I don't know. That's just that's just where I am at. Sometimes I'm kind of just like, wow, how did, how exactly does is that done? Right. Yeah, I would say for, you know, friendships is very similar, you know, because you might notice the the type of closeness you might have with a friend uh now than you did 20 years ago might be pretty different, you know. Uh Yeah, but you you're not in bed you... when they're snoring yeah. and stuff or like when <laughs> yes. they get up and like fart in the middle of the night, like there's some gross stuff that happens when you're like sleeping <laughs> next to somebody, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, this is a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we come back to the secure attachment bonds, you know, like you have to be really securely attached to someone and feel a lot of love for them to, uh, to be totally cool with their aging or farting body, you know, and, (laughs) and, uh, and also accept the times when you're like, all right, that's too much. I'm gonna (laughs) leave the room while that's happening. Right. Right, Yeah. yeah, All of these things exist, right. You don't have to like unconditionally be obsessed with someone. Right. It's all about uh, being two autonomous human beings that, uh, you know, you recognize you need your space and and you have your differences. Um, And yeah, it is something that's really confusing about that. I, I, I think with, uh, like you said earlier about having kids, right? There, there's a lot of these um, ideas and uh, uh, ways that we're taught to to think or define people based on these things, right? Marriage and kids, and uh, and I think once you do start to really think critically about all this stuff, it all becomes so much more fluid. You know, there is no really easy one way or the or another way, and um, you know, some people just like, it just so happens to be like a really fun, interesting thing for me to do is working with relationships. It could just as easily be the least interesting thing for me. So, uh, you know, it's just all about what people, uh, decide they ultimately want, what ultimately aligns with their, with their, uh, their life and, and what they want to like make room for and, and what they want to include. And that's all about just cultivating our relationship with, with self and life and what our relationships are going to going to look like. Um, So for some people that might be really long-term relationships or it it might be uh, totally different um, and include non-monogamy or, you know, just different types of relationship styles or not being in relationship with other people in romantic or sexual ways. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really all just about figuring out like, what do I want? You know, what, 
what feels good for me? What makes sense for me? What is helping me with my self-growth? What is supporting me in self-growth? And if relationships aren't it, uh, it like specific partnerships in the way you mentioned, then then that's not it, you know? So, yeah. 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 It's, it's complex. It's definitely a very complex topic. Right. I love, I love the reflections on what if I was still with that person from when I was 16 or, you know, yeah, it's, uh, uh, one thing that I am, am glad for is, you know, not being, uh, still being tied to people that I, I don't want to be tied to in the same way that, uh, that I was with too, right? That there's, there's real significant learning and growth and still love and, and bond there uh, in lots of different ways and various nuances. Um, but it does, certainly doesn't mean that we need to... <laughs> still be with any of those people, right? Um, in that specific way. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Lo Fitzgibbons, who is a sex and relationship therapist, um, clinical social worker. Um, Lo, what what brings you joy in your work? Like, I know there's kind of been little moments where you've talked about like things and you've really lit up, like when you were talking about like, <laughs> you know, the the dream work, like that obviously like brings you some some light and some excitement. Um, and, you know, you've kind of had these little touchstones throughout our conversation. But, you know, what what do you what brings you joy in doing this work? Uh, one thing that really brings me joy is being able to to reclaim what a challenge is, you know, and, and see, like, I, I love to work hard, but I love to work hard in a way that is anti-capitalist, you know? And so how do I have that? How do I have a, an energy that we're kind of taught, like, be competitive, be, you know, the, these sorts of things, right? And it's like, well, I love, I love to be competitive because I love being challenged and I love, you know, having uh, lots of people around me who challenge me, right? Um, that doesn't mean I need winning or losing or this sort of like uh, stuff, but I, I love th- I love to reclaim that energy to be a more holistic understanding of of what it means to show up and and be really in flow in my work. You know, um, I'm someone who uh, always has lots of ideas, and my brain's always going lots of places, and I find that my work in therapy really, um, you know helps me feel like uh in 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 athletics they call it in the zone in psychology they call it flow state right (laughs) like uh you know and I I just get to be in that space um and really enjoy it and uh love when there's just this this understanding uh between me and clients where it's like yeah like look at this thing that we know we've been working on uh all this time and look at these different layers of of all these these breakthroughs here, or uh, this 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 thing that used to be seem impossible uh, for you when you presented it initially, and 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 look at that, you know, like just being a real supporter um, of all of the the results of hard work um, in a in that sort of sense. Uh, so that's something that really brings me joy, and I love being uh, in my field. Um, of sex therapy, it's like uh, I, I'm sometimes called like clinical sexologist, right? Like I love sexology. I love, um, I love uh, 
being able to incorporate uh, a more holistic sense of our mind and body that incorporates um, sexuality, especially with our culture um, and everything that we have to kind of navigate and struggle against about the messages we get about sex. Um, Which are just so kind complicated. Of transformative about that. Yeah. 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 That's great. I don't know if you could hear. I have a little cat over there that just sneezed. I'm not sure if you could. No, I didn't hear <laughs> it, but I wish okay. I did. It sounds really cute. <laughs> so we're we're coming towards the top of the hour. Um, Lo, do you have any kind of last words of wisdom that you want to throw out into the universe? Anything that you feel like people should really understand deeply um, about the not just the work that you do, but just anything in general. Um, I guess um, the the one thing that I would put out there that I just made a note to talk about today um, is, I guess, maybe about this idea of like of of stigma around sex and uh, how that plays out in in therapy. And I think you know culturally we're taught either not to think or talk about sex or when we are, it's in these very explicit, specific ways. Um, and so sometimes people either, you know, because we're not, whereas as people, we're not taught to talk about sex, then obviously in a lot of therapy programs, therapists are still not taught how to talk about sex. Um, and so then when someone is trained to talk about sex, it can feel weird <laughs> to be like, I know that this person will talk about sex. I've had people who who will say like, so part of the reason I came to see you is to talk about this thing about my sex life. And it's been like months, right? <laughs> and, and they're like, but I, I just like, you know, it's so weird to like bring this up, you know? Um, and I think that's a combination of that's not common for a lot of therapists to be readily comfortable and able to talk about that topic. So of course it makes sense that people also aren't used to feeling like that's something they could bring up and talk about. And so yeah, it's not even normalized in a professional space yet. Right. Right. Even, even people's concepts of, of sex therapists, there are still people who, you know, really for understandable reasons from the messages of our society, you know, think that sex therapists are sex surrogates and, is a whole different thing of these intersections of sex work uh, being criminalized and sex surrogacy being illegal, I think, in the majority of our states. And so even if I wanted to refer you to a sex ther- sex surrogate that I could work with in tandem, uh, there it's the, the amount of people that I can refer you to are so few and far between. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that would just be my, my um, area of last piece of awareness is is just like it is totally okay to seek out people who uh who can talk with you about sexuality and it could be super cool and still be uh just like talking to your therapist with the same professional boundaries (laughs) um and uh that that that's just uh one great thing that you can add to your mental and emotional wellness journey yeah fabulous well, thank you so much, Lo, for coming on the show and, and talking about all that you do and, you know, all the kind of behind the scenes work. It's it's really refreshing to be able to um, to hear some of the, the language and some of the ways that we can unbox ourselves and um, create different dynamics with our with our relationships um, and have a great weekend, everyone. And be well. <laughs>